2: Welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week is not only one of Ireland's favourite faces, but also one of reality television's true winners. As both a host and a housemate, and also as the only person ever to emerge victorious from the Big Brother house twice. The winner of Big Brother 2, some 21 years ago in 2001, he went on to make history as the first openly gay children's TV presenter with a groundbreaking gig on SMTV Live before popping up on our screens on everything from Come Dine With Me to Hell's Kitchen and most recently presiding over The Real Housewives of Cheshire. But it wasn't long before he returned to TV's most famous house in 2010 for the ultimate Big Brother trumping the likes of Coolio, Vanessa Feltz, Chantel and Preston and friend of the podcast, Ulrika Johnson, to be crowned the ultimate housewife, going on to then present the show for several years when it moved to Channel 5. Now back in his native island and married to choreographer and dancing with the stars judge Arthur Gurnian, Uh, the pair have announced very excitingly that they are expecting their first child via a surrogate and that surrogate is his baby sister. As we celebrate all things Pride this month, I am thrilled he's come on to tell us all about his parenting journey and what lies ahead next. It's Brian Dowling.
0: Well, can I just say that could be one of the best intros I've ever had in my life. Good, really? I, 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 I almost sat there thinking, yes, she's right, I've done that. Yes, yes, I've been on that. Yes, 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 I'm married. Yes, yes. Like it's, it's so weird that sometimes we can get a bit complacent in life and we kind of don't realize what we've achieved. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way, just in a very matter of fact way. Sometimes it's kind of nice to be reminded of all those amazing achievements from being on a reality show 21 years ago it's
2: nuts isn't it kate lawler was on recently and we had this chat about big brother and we were we are talking about the most different of times you know no social media um you know the idea of phoning to vote for somebody was a very new concept i mean you won you won the first big brother with over four million votes over four million people in your
0: fan club brian that is nuts i remember finding out and i said this recently to someone that the votes I got, I think it was 4.3 million, more people voted for me to win Big Brother than elected Tony Blair to be Prime Minister (laughs) in the general election. And I thought, hang on a fucking minute, could I be Prime Minister? (laughs) (laughs) Could I? (laughs) Could I do it? Back then, Big Brother was still a social experiment and people genuinely cared. They wanted me to win. They paid the one, two pounds, whatever it was, you know, to vote. Yeah. They Yeah, it wasn't cheap then, was it? No, they had Big Brother parties. They, like, I still meet people now that talk to me about Big Brother 21 years ago. That's how amazing the show was. Yeah, because
2: people can still sort of, it's almost sensory, like, you can still smell it. You can still remember rushing home for the live shows or that, you know, everybody would have Big Brother parties, just like they had X Factor parties. You're part of something that goes beyond what's happening on screen. It's happening in people's homes and they connect in ways that you'll never know because how can you possibly be connected to four million people
0: i said that but to my are. i said it to my nieces who were so only, the three of them are 11. so they have no idea about big brother but i explain it like what you said with x, x factor i say you see how big x factor is and how famous those people are that's what it was like for me back in mm-hmm. the day and they go wow
2: yeah it's an i instant mean like reaction I'm going to jiggle some of my questions around because this is something I wanted to get to, but we're here, so let's do it. Are you ready for your first question? Go. It's Pride Month, and you have been someone who has more than moved the dial when it comes to driving conversation and change in education around the LGBTQ plus community. And in 2001, when you entered the Big Brother house, you'd only just come out to your family two days previous to that because you knew that it would unfold on television. And then weeks later, you emerged triumphant, you know, victorious from the house. And you said, I'm Irish, Catholic, gay, and I'm chuffed that people in back Ireland have backed me. I mean, you really were, you were in unknown territory because actually the fear was that you would be rejected hugely because of your sexuality, which brings us to a whole kind of series of firsts that you then went on to crash. You know. The first gay man, arguably, to win a popularity contest on that scale. The first gay television uh, presenter for children's TV when you took on SMTV Live. You and your husband were amongst the very first couples to get married in Ireland after they legalised same-sex marriage. And you then went on to have the first all-male pairing on Irish television with Dancing with the Stars. I mean, you are... A changemaker, Mr.
0: Dowling. Well done. Like, it's so weird because going back to Big Brother, I was 22 years old when I went on that show. I'm 44 actually next week. So it's 22, so half of my, my lifetime. And I remember being afraid to tell my parents that I was gay for fear of them disowning me. I think it's an insecurity in anyone that is coming to terms with their sexuality. And I knew... I was going to be on the show, whether I last a week or two weeks, there was no way I was going to be able to pretend not to be myself. And I feel there was two versions of Brian Dowling. The one that was working at Stansted Airport in Ryanair that was fully out, and the one that would come home to my mum, my dad and my six sisters in rural Ireland an hour from Dublin in the country where we had no idea what gay was, we had no idea what homosexuality was. There was was nothing, there was nothing on television shows, there was no pop stars, there was just nothing about it. And I remember my sister told my parents two days before, and I rang her the next day and asked her, how did they take it? And Michelle said, oh, they were, they were fine about it. And I went, really? And the next day I came off a flight from Italy, and I rang them from the crew room at Ryanair, and I said, I'm gay. And my mom asked me, was I trying to be fashionable? And I thought, no, because that, that was just her reasoning. And then we said, we said goodbye. I spoke to her one more time the morning I was going into the house and that was it. And then those nine and a half weeks played out the way they did. And for me, looking back on it now, I go, I was lucky I was so accepted by the voting public in England and in Ireland, because I then thought, well, my parents have to be okay with it. Because if this is a popularity contest and people think I'm great, and they're voting for me to win, my parents will accept me. And I forgot all about winning. I forgot all about the £70,000 which I won, which is a life-changing amount of money. I remember walk- I remember leaving that house. I don't remember the fireworks, people go- things going off. Uh, Davina was pregnant at the time. And then I remember embracing my mum and dad. And that was the first real embrace of who I really was as their son. And that was this out gay man. I turned 23 on the show, but it really was, I get goose pimples now. I was like, but this is who I am. You've witnessed who I am. And that hug to me meant so much because it was genuine. There was no more hiding, Kate. They'd seen every angle of me 24 hours a day on E4, every night on Channel 4. And we've never, ever had a conversation apart from that one time on the phone about my sexuality. It was never, ever brought up again because I was totally embraced. And accepted. I did say to my husband recently, if I had left the show first, would my parents have accepted me? Who knows? But Big Brother, in a sense... <laughs>
2: have you ever asked them that? No, well? no. I said, I'm, you can know. you imagine? I'm,
0: I'm afraid to go there. Um, but I just feel that Big Brother completely helped shape my, my, my whole life, my career... I'll be forever grateful to that time of summer of of 2001. It was phenomenal. But don't
2: take away from that why it worked so well for you because you went in there and you were... I mean, listen, we live in far more tolerant times now. It was a big deal back then to publicly own your sexuality and celebrate it in the way that you did. It took guts. And actually, we know now that you were very scared about even... You know, you got your sister to tell your mom and yes. dad. You didn't even do it yourself because you're so worried about the
0: reaction, right? I was so fearful. You know, I was brought up Catholic. I still say that I am Catholic. I don't go to church that often. And, you know, we sadly lost my mom in 2018. And I, I suppose the fact that mom's not alive anymore, that's made me question my faith. And I then think, well, of course, my mom's in heaven. Because my mom deserves to be in heaven. So you, you ha- I think when you're a gay man or woman and you're Irish, I think it's something you battle with, with the whole religious and Catholic thing. But I think it was brave of me to do it.
2: Well, yeah, you have to battle with it because effectively the Catholic faith believes that homosexuality is wrong. It is it's a sin. sin
0: and I'm going to hell. But I mean, how amazing is hell going to be with all these amazing people? You know, we joke, but it's kind of true. Feel like Shadow Lounge. <laughs> oh, I miss Shadow Lounge. But I think being twenty, <laughs> being twenty-two. Shadow
2: Lounge. We should establish just for anyone who doesn't know it is. And it's actually where you first met your husband. Yes. It's a prolific gay club in Soho.
0: Yes. No longer. I think it's closed down. I think it's. I think it's gone. I think so. Yes. So I remember being 20- twenty, never forgotten. Never forgotten. I remember being twenty-two, but I'd nothing to lose. Kate at twenty-two, I was working at Ryanair. I was, I was, I was like a cab. I was an air. I was an air steward. It was almost expected to be gay. So I, I, was going on, going in the house. I would nothing to lose. I knew afterwards. I still have my family. I still have my job. I still have my friends, and I just loved that summer. I dressed up. We don't. I drank beer and cider, which I don't drink. We mixed them together. It was just the summer, the weather. I got a tan. You know, I didn't get drawn into silly arguments because there was just no point. But I mean, I always think it's afterwards. I, I remember leaving the show and then thinking, fuck, what have I done? Because my life had changed so dramatically from in nine weeks. All it had taken was nine weeks.
2: By the time you left the house, such was your popularity. You had to have... Close
0: protection security. I, I mean, how camp is that? <laughs> like, yeah.
2: like like you're I don't know, like you're a movie. Like star. I'm Britney Spears. Are you Tom Cruise? Like yeah! I
0: remember Tony was one of them, there was two of them, and I had this gorgeous silver Mercedes that was at my disposal and they were with me constantly. And it was it was too obviously the fear was, as even though you're popular, that some people also may not like you and what may happen but also because I've been locked away for nine weeks and mental health wasn't a thing back in 2001. I think that Channel 4 and Endemo were very mindful to make sure that our transitions back to normal life were as easy as possible. But I mean, it was amazing. They'd carry me in and out of clubs, through the kitchen, paparazzi chasing us in and out. It was so camp, it was so camp. But did it, did it fry your brain? Did it play havoc with your mental health? What was difficult was I remember leaving the house and we got invited to all these parties and red carpets. I did not want to do any of it. And I had a boyfriend at the time that I kept secret from, from everyone, from the show. And thankfully, we, we, I kept that secret the whole way through the nine weeks and afterwards. And I remember we were playing tennis on Clapham Common like a week later and the security guards were our ball boys and they were getting like and everyone else was on red carpets i just wanted to get on the tube i wanted to go to the cinema i wanted a bit of normality but i remember when i'd be on my own walking around and obviously people would come up because the show was such a big show it would throw you because i didn't know how to deal with people that wanted to say nice things i didn't know Autographs and you know, back then it wasn't camera phones, it was the windy up pictures or you know, the, the disposable cameras, all of that. Yeah. It, or going into bars and then encountering people who said I was a bad role model for gay men, that not all gay men are eff- effeminate or camp. So it's just there was, there was a lot, and nothing trains you for that. And sometimes I would just not want to go out because of it, but also I was working quite a lot, thankfully, at that time as well. But I, I remember 2001 like it was yesterday those memories will, will, I'll remember forever because they were just so bizarre.
2: So not only do you walk away with a four million strong vote, right? So that tells you that, you know, you, the people are behind you. You then go and land a job on SMTV Live alongside Tess Daily, And you probably didn't even realise at the time that you were the first openly gay
0: children's television presenter. It was never anything that was mentioned at the time. I was on a contract with Blaze Television and we were shooting a documentary like The Life of Brian, our original. And we were shooting that and Blaze owned SMTV Live in CD UK and they needed a presenter to fill in one week with Kat Dealy and Louise Redknapp, Anton Deck had left. And because I was on contract, they said, you're going to have to go in and fill in. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not. I'm not a TV presenter. I can't do live television. Are you fucking crazy? There's no way I can do this. I mean, I did it. And I think they were surprised, actually, he's kind of okay at this. And then they offered me a contract with Tess. I love Tess. She's still one of my dear friends. She's amazing. And her and I took on this show that Anton Deck and Kat, it, it was so iconic, SMTV Live. People still remember it. It really was. And we were, yeah. we were on that for two years until Tess and I kind of decided that we wanted to do other stuff and I had other opportunities. But at the time i didn't realize that i didn't realize the gay thing and i'm glad that i was only 23 years old i'm glad i didn't have that pressure on me it's only as i've gotten older i realized i'm glad i was so naive at the time and not realizing because if i had have made one mistake or done anything wrong privately publicly that's a lot for someone who's 23 who has no really media training. I was a reality TV star that was on television drunk and screaming and being camp and naked, running around, then to land a proper serious job as an openly gay man on kids' television. I'm glad I didn't know what people were thinking when it came to gay men and children. I'm glad I was so naive to all of that, in a sense. I was, I was naive to all of it. It was only as the show went on, I fully realised. Oh, hang on a second, this because it would be wrote about that I was, and I would go, "Oh, I didn't feel like I was." But um, I was it was. A, I mean, one of my best jobs ever, SMTV Live, and I just think an amazing opportunity, also for me as an out gay man at 23 to have that opportunity.
2: Well, yeah, you think about all you know, all of the young girls and boys who would be tuning in wrestling with their own sexuality, and then they see you there and they see themselves, right? You've got to to be able to see it to be it and to feel that there is a representation. And it's a huge responsibility that clearly you didn't realize you were carrying. But I think certainly by the time you went on to become one of the first gay couples to marry in Ireland, you knew the weight of that responsibility in as much as you were using your platform and really
0: addressing a lot of the prejudices that still existed Uh, for gay men and women oh my goodness 100% and even though when we got married in 2015 you know we had planned our wedding like the year before so for Arthur and I the timing again was just phenomenal for us but I think it was as you get older you realize looking back oh my god that actually happened and I'm, I'm like that a lot. I only When I done the same-sex pairing on Dancing with the Stars, we have a, we've a switch-up week in Ireland, like the American format where you swap partners if you're still in the competition. And when I signed on to do the show, I was adamant. I either danced with a guy from the start. If I lasted to week seven on the show, I would switch and I'd have a male pairing. They couldn't accommodate the, uh, a pairing from the start because it had been cast because I wanted more money. So I kept negotiating my contract. Because that's the truth of what happened. That's the truth of what happened. Got the deal I wanted. And then I asked everyone on the show, (laughs) I asked all the male pros, would they do it? And all of them said yes, apart from one. And that was to do with his own private life and his family. And I had to respect all of that. And everyone said yes. And I went to the exec producers and I said, okay, I started training this week. And if I'm here on the week that we're doing it, you have to swap me and put me with a guy. And they said, yes, we will. But that, for me, was something that really impacted me, probably more because I was older. I think I was in my 40s, maybe 40 at the time. I was 42 at the time. That really impacted me because that meant something. I was older, Kate. I was wiser. I knew what I was doing. I had experience. I had the words to articulate it. And for me, the amount of messages I got from that and a lot of children came out to their families over that period of time, because I had done that dance and told their parents, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, it was absolutely incredible how it was received here in Ireland, you know, again, with the referendum in 2015. And that's why I think Ireland's, you know, gets it right most of the time that I, I was like, wow, I'm so proud that I'm Irish and I'm so proud that I'm in Ireland as an Irishman doing this. And again, this hadn't been done before in the UK either. So again, to be part of that change again, but to be older, I, like I was, I mean, I think the dance was okay. Like, it was okay. It was a quick step. Could have been better. But I remember when Kai and I embraced, the audience just went, like, wild. We, we danced apart for some of it. But we knew that people just wanted to see us in whole together. Two men on primetime television. And hang on. Nothing bad happened. Oh, hang on. We're, we're still here. We're still on air. But even getting goose pimples, that was a real moment for me and I'm so proud of that moment
2: I do think you should sit back and look at what you've done and I know that um in the early years of your television career you weren't really aware of the narrative that you were driving and maybe that's a good thing because you know if it had been wrapped in social media trolls you might not have felt the ability to be truly you but thank goodness that you did Brian because you really have generated a lot of change and I hope that you can feel that
0: you've been a major contributor on that front. To be honest with you, I actually don't. And it was only Will Will Young had come out recently, and I think in his book, and he'd really, really praised me and was so complimentary, and saying what you had just said. And it's so strange because you you don't feel. I think I've had a a love hate relationship with the gay community and the gay press for such a long time, where. I was, I was criticized a lot from the gay community for being so effeminate and for being so camp and for being so loud back in the day. I'd go out and drinks would be thrown over me. It was, it was, a, it was very strange and-
2: Why? Because of that, but that's you,
0: that's who you are. And I've always said, I'm, this is me. I'm not saying everyone that's gay is like me. That's not what I'm saying. But people were very, very opinionated Again, I'm glad I was naive and there was no social media. I could have my fails. I could be out in bars kissing guys. I could be getting drunk and no one held me accountable. And I was really bad on television hosting SMTV Live with no experience. No one was commenting on the fact I was so thin because I was stressed. I had no experience with the state of my hair or my clothes. There was really no bad press. We were kind of all protected. Whereas now, I'm not sure a 22-year-old to have that staggering fame, you know, an opportunity, people would just bring me down.
2: Yeah, you know, cool. I, I I just I completely agree. I think it's really hard for people to be allowed to grow, discover, get better, evolve, understand. You know, understand the responsibility that you then went on to really embrace as a gay man in terms of being visible. Pushing for change, you know, demanding things of, of Dancing with the Stars. It's a huge show in Ireland. And, you know, and then you then open Will Young's book and you realize that all those years ago, what you did really meant something to him as a young gay man.
0: And that's it becomes tangible yeah, then. Because it's, it? it's someone else's experience. It's so and someone who's gay and was on reality TV just like me. Will came on SMTV Live as a guest. And we, it was both of us were out, both of us were gay. And it was just, you know, so strange to see someone else come along the way. And, you know, him and I would have shared a lot of the same experiences coming from the same industry and also trying to have private lives and do all that privately, but still have a a public life. But it was very different back then to what it is now. Now people are so much more open and accepting.
2: Yeah, because people like you have
0: helped to create that acceptance, which I think is so
2: important. And now you're about to uh, break into the next chapter of your life a new frontier so let's talk about that as we dive into question two
1: hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you
2: are about to become a father you and arthur are i mean how many months away from becoming parents
0: we are due on the 10th of september so we're nearly wow, to, yeah, not long not long no
2: and right how do i pronounce your sister's name Efa. Eva is carrying Efa is carrying your baby for you yes What i mean this is extraordinary so I I mean, this is where we are right now. Your sister is carrying your baby for you and your husband to raise. But how did this journey begin? Because I think parenting is always a hot topic of conversation, but parenting this way between a same-sex couple, this is a conversation that needs to have the volume turned up on it. So let's do that if you're happy to.
0: Of course. OK, so as we mentioned earlier, Arthur and I met in 2002 in the Shadow Lounge. Beautiful. And I remember, <laughs> beautiful. I had, I had taped, pre-recorded an episode of SMTV Live over Christmas, so I was able to go out on a Friday night, seen this gorgeous guy in a club, walked up to him. He couldn't speak English. I'm like, bye, no, not yes, for me. Let,
2: let's, uh, let's establish where, where, where he's from, Arthur. Why couldn't he speak English?
0: Arthur's Armenian and he had just moved to london he'd been living in belgium and he wanted to be a dancer he was a refugee he was a refugee absolutely and he'd moved to london uh, very attractive and i was out with my good friend simon jones who you know who was best man at our wedding i call him samantha and <laughs> i said to, and i said this guy can't speak english and simon was like oh, God, he's really attractive you know just go and say hello and stuff long story short we ended up snogging arthur was dancing on CD UK the following week. So he was a hot dancer. And we dated for four years. He knew I was from a big family. We broke up in 2006 and we got back together in 2011. And when we got back together in 2011, we're apart for five years. We have both grown and evolved and we're really different people. I think we're the people who we wanted to be. Ah. We have both, I said from the day dot, I wanted to get married. I wanted to have a family and Arthur wanted a family over marriage. But, and like Arthur doesn't really believe in marriage. And Arthur, if it hadn't have been me, no, he says, he says, and I don't fight, it doesn't bother me because we are married and we are happy. You've done it and twice, just, babe, as well. You've really yes. cemented
2: it. <laughs> not once. 100%. But twice. <laughs> to the same man, I
0: may add, this is not your second marriage. <laughs> no, no, no. So we, like, he was like, okay, yeah, marriage, blah, blah, blah. And then in 2015, when we got married, we were like, we obviously want to start a family. But as you know, especially when you're working and when you're a TV presenter and you're self-employed, you've great, you've got good years and then some years just are not kind. And it's all about, I keep saying it's the hustle. You got to hustle, hustle, hustle. Arthur was a very successful top dancer. He modeled, he'd done loads. He was then a creative director, choreographer. I'm still on that wheel of reality television and television and hosting and working. So we kind of put the family off. Mom passed away in 2018. And we said in 2018, we really have to look into this. And I reached out to our mutual friend, Ian, H from Steps, and he advised us and recommended. Did he? Yes, he did, because he's gorgeous twin boys.
2: He's twin boys that he raises on his own. And he is quite a
0: phenomenal father. He really is. I'm
2: unendingly proud of all that he's done with those lads. He's amazing. So H had already been, let's call him H for the purposes of people knowing who we're talking about. H had already been through this process himself in order to become a father. So you were able to, I mean, that in itself, just
0: having that conversation must have been so valuable to you both. Well, of course, because you're you're reaching out to someone you know and trust. So they're going to be honest and they're going to tell you your genuine experience. So he, you know, Ina put us in the kind of the right area of where to go. And then we reached out and we're doing all of that. But again, we're then living in LA. We have the O1 visas. I was there full-time for a year. I was on a long-haul flight every three weeks, either back to Ireland or the UK for work because you need to make money. Arthur was working in America. I'm, I'm no one in America, so I got to go where the work is. And then it was during, my sister Aoife had said to us in 20, 2019, because I have six sisters, she said, it's something I would really love to do for you because you've, you, know, you and Arthur have always helped me. And Even in 2019, she was single at the time and we kind of laughed it off and went, oh, my God, you're just so dramatic. Of course, you're not going to have our baby. How would that work?
2: And this is a conversation you'd already started having around your family because you'd explored adoption. And that was really hard, especially because you were a same sex couple, especially because you were a little bit older than they wanted parents to be in your experience. And especially because you're a same sex couple in Ireland
0: (laughs) yes and again you know I'm glad you said this is our own experience of this whole process I want to emphasize that this is what we experience we're not saying these people are like this our experience that's how we felt so again a good friend of ours alan and his wife jenny who sadly passed away they had adopted a little boy here so again we were able to reach out to people who had gone through this process and we had rang the adoption agency in ireland and as soon as arthur explained that we were same sex it was on loudspeaker this woman's whole tone had changed she felt uncomfortable and this was 2020 two years ago i was like was really frustrated And then our friend Alan knew a social worker and conversations and, you know, our age was a big factor. This can be three to five years of a process from start to finish. The most grueling process, at least you'll go through. And then there's still no guarantees you'll get paired with any children. And if you do, say at 45 and 43, they're going to give the children to people who are much younger. And that makes total sense. Plus, not enough children are born and given to the adoption system in Ireland, which is obviously a good thing. There's not that many children. So there's way more people looking to adopt. And we kind of thought, well, this just isn't gonna work either. And then, you know, the whole surrogacy in America, you're looking at 170,000 all in. And we're like, okay, this is is where we're gonna go again. So I reached back out to H's contacts again. We're liaising, getting all the information. And then my sister, Eva was like, no, seriously, I'm, I really want to do this for you. And we really, it was in the end of 2019, we really, I was on Dancing with the Stars that, uh, that Christmas. And we were like, okay, let's really think about this. And then Arthur and I got our own home in uh, 2021. 20, uh, and so up
2: until that point You've been living in Your mum and dad's spare,
0: Your dad's spare room Mom and dad's spare room The room that I grew up in As a child It was so strange Having my husband In that same room It was very odd I, I, I felt, bet it was Yeah I felt dirty And I felt like I shouldn't be doing this All the same oh. stuff I had All my posters Barry McGuigan was still On the wall It was awkward <laughs> Shut up. But we should point out as well, it's not because you were
2: on your downers, it was because you'd gone back in COVID and had to stay. So it's not that, like, you know, life hadn't, the, the ceiling hadn't fallen in no, or anything like that. Oh God,
0: touch wood, yeah. <laughs> but what was really nice was, Arthur and I had been on this wheel, constantly working and traveling. I mean, touch wood, I'm, I'm still working. But to be home in April of 2020 with my husband, everything we own was in storage, apart from this huge bed we had in America, it was massive. It filled up the whole room it's probably the happiest and the most content we've been in life with me and him watching movies on his laptop. And my little nephew was there, my dad was there, my sister and her fiance. And it was just, that's when we really went, what do you actually need in life? A roof over your head. I mean, you. I mean, I, in this day and age, it, it just made us realize all the years in London, the 20 years have been on this wheel of working and uh, photo shoots and red carpets and trying to be relevant. And we went let let's just do let's just have the baby now. And then EFA really engaged with us, and it was proper of January 2021 when we got our own home. and we've, we've never lived in Ireland together and I left Ireland in 1998. It was a big thing for us to kind of move back home and also wonder, will we work? Is there opportunities here for two out gay men? Arthur's a creator director choreographer. I'm a TV host. There's three channels here in Ireland. There's RT1 t 2 and Virgin Media 1 like th- that's kind of it so then Eva really engaged in the conversation and to be honest before i knew it before i knew it we were on hormones of that summer and we were giving samples and an embryo was on ice like it moved so quickly but again there are no regulations for surrogacy here in Ireland so it's not illegal it's not also legal I'm on about same sex uh, partnership yeah. when you, so for it's us it's
2: completely unaddressed isn't it, it unaddressed. and this is I mean, like, how wrong is that? I agree. It's 2022 people. It's just where, where, where are the ba- Where's the guidelines for this? I should also point out, Brian, just for people listening, that you say there was an embryo on ice. This is not your your sister is not
0: your baby's biological mother. No, nope. we. So, just to yes,
2: yeah. So, talk me through some of those conversations that you've had to have with Aoife and Arthur and yourself? Because, I mean, as big conversations go, these are all very epic. And the same, in the same way that you have to decide, well, you know, who's the daddy?
0: So yes, that's what's, so first of all the conversations, and we realised straight away that we were going to use an egg donor. For this to work for us, we couldn't be raising my sister's biological child. It just wouldn't work for us. Aoife would be there, but almost like, you know, you ain't my mother, yes I am. You know, the dramatic in me was thinking, Jesus, that could actually happen one day. And that just wouldn't have worked for us or for the process. It's
2: a bit Cat Slater EastEnders, isn't it? It's a bit Cat
0: and Zoe, totally. And (laughs) Aoife, you know, Aoife was very much pro that because Aoife has just turned 33. She's still young. You know, she's single. She doesn't know if she's ever going to have a family. And these are her words. And when I'm saying this, I want to make sure I'm, you know, because Aoife... I'm kind of Eva's voice during all of this because she yeah. has been asked to do stuff. She's been asked, and it's just not her thing. And we also have to allow her some privacy in all of this of as course. well. But I always ask her permission. If I do anything on Instagram or anything when I talk about her, I always ask her permission. Eva's like an extension of me. We're into the exact same thing. She lived with us in London in Clapham for a year and a half when she moved to London. So she was like my our first child. It's so strange. She's 33 and I'm, so like 11 years between us. So we've had to have really life-changing conversations but for us Kate humor is a great release we do it all with humor and with love because I didn't know how it worked and then at one point when it wasn't working we were almost like well I can't sleep with her because she's my sister so Arthur you're gonna have to step up because we joked about like we let's just make it happen So we went to an agency, we've never disclosed where we have went and I just don't know if we will, but again, this was on a recommendation from someone who had gone to this place and put us in contact with these people. And again, this is much like what H had done for us initially. When you go to people and they're giving you a recommendation, you feel safe. I did ring a fertility place in Ireland and they had no interest. I've never mentioned who they were, because I'm still fearful of the trouble they'd get in. And and I know that's weird because they were so shady to us. As soon as they realized who I was and I'm gay, they did not want to advise me on surrogacy in Ireland. And I, I felt really angry because I'm like, you're Irish, this is your thing, I'm Irish, I live here, advise me where to go. And luckily for us, where we went, English wasn't their first language but the nurse that was dealing with us speaks fluent French. So does Arthur. So we were able to communicate quite well. But I think what makes people from my community vulnerable is having to go to different countries where the regulations are really lax when it comes to surrogacy and pregnancy and all of that. And that was a real issue for Arthur and I as well, why domestic surrogacy was a godsend for us. I would not have been able to rest with not being able to see the surrogate, spend time with the surrogate, go shopping with the surrogate, feel the surrogate's stomach. I can do that, my sister. We go for massages together. We go shopping together. She's living with us at the moment because she's so bad. Her legs and her back are so sore. She's off work. So she's been recuperating here. She got her hair done yesterday. So i'm so lucky and so blessed we can do that it's you know we'd won we we'd lost an embryo um when before transplantation so it wasn't a miscarriage or loss that we we'd lost an embryo that split so twins that we couldn't use we'd one left one embryo left and it was in the freezer since june of last year and i remember thinking "Oh, this baby is cold and then we were trying, the, the uterus has to measure a, a certain width for all of this. And we were never getting it, never getting it, never getting it, never getting it. And we were going to completely... And, and in order
2: for that to happen, your sister's on a huge amount of hormone treatments. And, you know, she's she's putting herself through a lot in order for her body to be receptive to your chilly baby.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And also the fact that she's obviously single. She's not in a relationship. She wasn't drinking. She was 32 at the time. She put her whole life on hold for us. You know, and for absolutely nothing, like for just wanting to do it for love. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. And then you talked earlier about uh, the biological father. And again, that is something obviously that Arthur and I obviously know. And we had said that we would share that at a time when we feel comfortable. Because, yeah, I, totally, I, I
2: think, not, no, and not before. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I was, certainly wasn't asking. No, of course.
0: Who the daddy no. is?
2: I'm asking. How do you how
0: do you broach that conversation? Yeah. Well, for us, it was kind of taken out of our hands, as you know, and again, you know, you, you find a lot about because there's so much testing that happens before you do this, you know, physically for Arthur and I and for Efa.
2: In some ways, maybe, is that a blessing? Because the decision is not yours. Yes,
0: it was, we kinda, at the time it was quite sad and you know, you you, you feel like, oh shit, what's this? And this is blah, blah, blah. But then in the end, everything works out, I think, the way that it should. And we now know who the biological father is. But I think there's, I, I think people are curious, which I get, but for either of us, both of us love this child so much. We wouldn't care even if none of us were the biological father, because we are so obsessed with this baby and just can't wait to hold baby, smell baby, and also make sure Efa is safe, because as much as the is growing inside of her and that's all the attention, we're also very mindful for Aoife to make sure that she's doing well and she's happy and she's so content. It's been, so we would one embryo left, that was put in. There's no guarantees that it's going to be a successful pregnancy. And it really was, we could not believe, our first go at IVF, first round, so lucky. But it's so strange. I was very fearful, Kate, the whole way through that it'd be taken away from us. Because you never think, you never think it's going to happen. Because so many people try so hard for years. And as I said, we were going to stop last year. And we actually got pregnant on a natural cycle. We came off all hormones. We came off everything and it just worked on ovulation sticks old-fashioned way and
2: what an what an extraordinary experience you've been through as brother and sister as
0: husbands as a family you know Eve has been through it and you know even with her cycle it's so strange there's no glamour in any of this you know even seeing her squat over a cup for an ovulation test or for a pregnancy test it's like so like we've been through but like as Arthur and I and Eve have said and especially we will do anything to get to where we want to go and we are weeks away shortly down to single weeks of meeting our baby and then there's that new dynamic of Eva, you know honestly handing us the baby but that's exactly what's going to happen and we don't know how that's going to play out yet because we've never done this before but we still want Aoife to feel like she's part of this but at the same point Arthur and I will need to pull back for a while so we can get our routine going with our baby and do all of that. So the next phase I would say for us is equally as important. How we navigate, you know, because we don't know attachment with Efo, how she's going to feel, you know, we think, it, we, we think it'll be okay. And, you know, all of us have had therapy. We thought that was a really good thing to do. We've done that of our own accord to make sure we're all on, all on the same page. And of course, but like the next phase is very exciting for us. But also the dynamics in delivery is different. You know, Aoife won't hold baby. Baby is passed to us for skin on skin. We go into separate rooms. And then we're thinking, well, do we, Aoife and baby meet then and they hold each other then in hospital or do we wait? And so I just think you have to play it by ear because we don't know what to do.
2: Gosh, it's so much to think about. And obviously normally in a situation with surrogates, you know, you may, you may sustain contact, you may see the, 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 the surrogate, you may not. Your sister's going to watch this baby grow up.
0: And what's amazing for us is having Aoife in our lives, let alone as a surrogate, but also an aunt. And the bond they will have is going to be so unique. And that's why this works for us, that Aoife is still here. And we can tell our little baby what their aunt Aoife done for them when they get older, that you were in Aoife's belly. We wanted you so much that Aoife grew you, especially for us, because we loved her so much and she was chosen. You know, we we already know what we're going to say because we just want it to be seamless. And this may be a taboo for some people. And I remember people were saying it's incest online and people are like incest they used a donor you know and even if it was Arthur <laughs> Arthur's not blood related and even if it was Brian no. it's a donor egg like it's I, I just I just think there's, there's been what it's made me realise also is as a gay man and you might agree with me, not saying obviously you're a gay man, but as a gay man in the, entertainment, <laughs> <laughs> in the entertainment industry in the jobs that we do, we're in a bit of a bubble. When it comes to homosexuality, because we're you know it, it's 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 applauded and we're loved for it. Supported,
2: but it's 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 supported. Yeah, yeah it's what well, it's, it's not even a thing to be honest with you. Well, you know, hang on, let me take that back. I'm not a gay man. I don't know. It doesn't feel to me like I would acknowledge somebody's sexuality. I just acknowledge somebody's yes, like
0: exactly. You know, I don't go. I agree. Oh, Brian's gay. I just go probably Brian's Irish. That's Brian. Do you know what I mean? Yes, That's Brian. exactly. <laughs> so the amount of homophobia that we have kind of received and been experiencing through the pregnancy announcement has been just, all the hate we've been getting, it's just uneducated religious homophobia, that's all it is because if someone heterosexually does it, there's no, this agenda isn't a thing because straight people are allowed. Have children. Someone messaged me, and when you get a DM, it's almost like getting a text on social media. So you, you kind you your phone bings and you get it. And it was, someone had said, and "That's when I realized, okay, this means nothing. You know, I need to calm down." The day that we chose to be gay is the day we gave up the right to be parents. And when I read that, I went, "Okay, so they still think it's a choice." So <laughs> there's no point in engaging with someone who has no, are not educated enough. So that's when I went, "Okay, this is actually funny." You don't choose to be gay. It was 1985. It's like, shut the fuck up. That's not how it works. You fool. So you, yeah. can't, you, you can't have a conversation with people like that, Kate. Or, you well, know, you might was...
2: as well go and talk to, I don't know, a bit
0: of wood for the response yes. that
2: you'll get. But don't ever forget that for all of those stupid comments and stupid people, there's a Will Young that was so impacted by you. But sometimes you can't feel the good that you do, but certainly the the hate will always find a way to find you because of the world that we live in now. But I, I think that but just this conversation alone, you think about how many men and women may need this conversation and this will live online forever and they can access it at a time when they probably really need it. And you might help somebody in the same way that Ian helped you or you know, your other contacts and friends. And that's what it's all about because that's how you build
0: tolerance and community is you share. And also it's about change and someone always has to be the first. Someone always has to kick that door open. And you done loads of that. Well, yeah, so I just kind of, I feel like, again, here we go again, you know, with Arthur and my sister and people have reached out to us and said they're going to help their families because they didn't think they could do it in Ireland. Because when we came back to Ireland, you know, we'd done our pregnancy tests here, we didn't know if we could deliver the baby in Ireland. Can the baby be Irish? Because there's no regulations on surrogacy and the whole delivery. But because we didn't know, but of course we can, because in the eyes of the medical profession, Aoife is an Irish pregnant woman delivering her baby. And, you know, where we've gone here, the National Maternity Hospital, and our consultant is... Declan Keane. He's phenomenal. But when I rang them to see if they had availability, I had to go into this whole spiel. And it's my sister and, you know, we're gay and, you know, she's all sorry again. Because you feel like they're going to go, no, bye. I don't know why. I just, and they were like, okay, calm down. You know, we're all about family. This is completely fine. This is safe. And even imagine a 43, I felt that they could say, no, bye. You just do. You don't feel welcome sometimes. You feel like what you're doing is wrong. And you should be ashamed of yourself for wanting what straight people want because we're not allowed to because we're gay. And it's a feeling that is inside of you. And it never leaves you no matter what you do or it's just a thing that is in you because you're made to feel, you're made to feel wrong. But listen, our our nephew Harvey is three years old and we were at home, yes, he was rubbing Aoife's belly. He's three years old and he was trying to talk to the baby and he was like, is it a boy or is it a girl? And his dad asked him, whose baby is in there? And he went, that's Brian and Artie's baby. He is three years old. And that's because he is hearing conversations that are education and they're done with love. And they're not done with hate. They're not done with poison or homophobia or bias. It's just the information. And three years old, he understands that. And that's all people have to do. Exactly.
2: But... We are humans, as humans, we are sponges, right? You're not born with hate or prejudice. It's taught, it's learnt, it's listened. But my final question to you. In 2001, when you went into Big Brother house, you, you, it was a roll of the dice, it was a risk, right? And it changed everything. It takes guts to do that. And we've established across the course of this conversation, you are gutsy and risky. So what have been your greatest risks? And did they kind of bring your chickens home to roost?
0: Actually, I don't think going on Big Brother the first time was was a risk. I mean, I was 22 years old. I'd really nothing to lose really from, from any of that. I would think potentially going back into something that had afforded me so much good luck. So I think going back on the show in 2010 could have been a risk. And at the time, I remember thinking, you know, I hadn't kind of worked a lot in you know, as a host in two thousand nine or anything really, I'd come off Hell's Kitchen I think in two thousand eight, and that didn't go well. And I was single, and I was dealing with a lot of stuff personally and what do i want to do, blah blah blah, and dating and all of that. And then when the Big Brother opportunity came up, I remember Simon Jones, who we've established um, PR guru, as he's known, and Simon was like, "It's an amazing opportunity, but you know, you're not going to win." And when Simon says something, you believe him. This is his industry. This is what he does. And I thought going back in could be a risk because it was nine years on from it. I was not the 23-year-old in 2001. I didn't look like I did all those years ago. I was fuller. I'd gained weight. You know, life experiences had happened. So I think going back on, I probably had a little bit to lose only because I had been established as someone that was in the public eye and had a platform. And sometimes going back, to kind of do something you've already done. And I remember Rest Her Jade had gone back in years previous for her. Yeah, And that, oh, that had gone wrong. That had wrong. gone horribly wrong for her. And I remember that was, you know, playing on my mind. And also, the show was very, very different. It was a produced mm. reality TV show. It was so produced. It was a set. My one was in a house, in my land. There was no big launch show. There was nothing. I walked into a field. See you later, bye. The door's closed. That was uh, it. Is that it? That was it. I walked into a field. I know your,
2: your, your big task of the week. You'd have one task, one task in the first series. Yes. And then you'd have to do the shopping list. And the rest was just
0: you lot, sunbathing and... Drinking snake bites. That's what the drink was called. Yeah. That's all we were doing. I was going onto a show where you were giving verbal warnings. I'd watched the shows evolve. You could have sex. There was drama. There was tasks every day. People being voted in. There was second houses. There was people in there. There was, there was all going on. So again, I think probably naivety a bit as well. I kind of knew I was more or less the same person. And then I said, it's too good of an opportunity. It was a risk. But my God, did that pay off for me being ultimate you won i won twice twice and again myself and again rest her nikki graham i still can't believe she's passed so young nikki to me so young nikki to me there's certain people that'll be big brother and nikki graham to me will always be big brother jade goody to me will always be big brother nadia to me will always be big brother iconic people I got to live with Ulrika Johnson. I got to live with Coolio. John McCurick, the racing pundit, rest him as well. He's passed. Nikki Graeme, these, Chantel and Preston, they fell in love on telly. They got married. I was living with them. And, but what's really good for me is I actually don't have an agenda. I go in anywhere, I've always been like this, with an open mind, open heart, and kind of is what it is. And I don't really have an agenda. I don't, didn't really have a game plan much like the first time, my only thing I did, i actually that is a lie, this is the first time I said this, but the one thing I did remember saying to myself was, don't get shit-faced. Just don't get shit-faced. Like have drinks, the first time I could get shit-faced, I was twenty. Keep yourself just nice. Keep, just keep checking, keep, keep, keep it going, don't get drawn into bullshit. But I literally had so much fun. I woke up every day going, how am I doing this again? And I would see Coolio and Ulrika and Coolio and Nadia fight, and Nikki Graham going. It's disgusting. I would be like this. Fucking loving it. It was. It was you and Ulrika at the end. Me and wasn't Nikki it? at the end. Nikki and I were at the end. You and Nicky Graham were the final two. Wow. So
2: two of the greatest housemates. I mean, that that is that is a that is a,
0: a very good final two. It is, and I kind of think if you're going to go up against anyone, go up against someone who was fucking iconic. And I remember being there with Nikki, and again, much like I was with Helen Adams back in 2001, and I kind of thought, you know what? Whatever way this goes, she would have equally deserved it, if not more, because she put her emotion, her life, her heart, her soul into Brother, her vulnerability, I wasn't as vulnerable, you know, uh, that time, because I, I, w- I was a much different, I was in a different, you know, headspace, and uh, life had been good to me in the nine years, you know, but I remember just thinking, Nikki, like, you deserve this, and just be crowned that winner, and to be able to walk out twice as the winner, it's a popularity contest, and then again, another risk that kind of paid off, what well, I did financially, was hosting the show, that was another, and again, around Big Brother, you know, going back on to host something that made you famous and afforded you. Yeah. All, it's, it's fucking risky because you're not Davina McCall. Davina McCall is iconic. She is Big Brother. She is Big Brother House. This is Davina, you're live on Channel 4. Please do not swear. I'm coming to get you. These are her catchphrases that she made famous. And I, I didn't want this, the, the main show. Initially, they contacted me we'd like to test you for the spin-off show. And I remember thinking, oh my God, the spin-off show. And then they said, we're going to test you for the main show. And I had said, I don't want the main show. The spin-off show was where I think I could cut my teeth. As a TV presenter, there was, of course, less pressure. And I remember people knew me from being laughing and jokey and fun and dressing up. That was what I've always done. And any show that I had done was much of that elk. And then I heard that Emma got offered the spin-off show. Emma had told me we met at some festival or something. And then I kind of thought, well, that's my gig gone. You know, there's no way I am going to get the main show. They're going to get a woman, Davina McCall. They're not going to give it to someone who was a housemate. And then they offered me the main show. And I was like, fucking hell, I got the... What? Like I was almost like a real kind of pinch. It's like life-changing. And I knew financially it would be life-changing. This is a prime time show, prime time money. And then I thought the risk was, shit. What if this doesn't? It was kind of like it Didn't really go to plan. What if this doesn't go to plan? That was a, that was that was was like that was a real risk. And sometimes I think it paid off, and sometimes I think it didn't pay off. Because what it did was it really affected me afterwards. The public firing, and uh, you had reached out to me, and we had a conversation. It just it, it, oh, listen, it didn't I've do well. I've been there.
2: Yeah. It feels big at the time. It really is. It isn't. does you at the what? time. It's, you're right. It's just a job. It, and that's thats why I wanted to get in touch with you because I'd walked that past. And Davina was one of the first people to call me when I was fired. And it is really public. And it's people really well intended asking you, so what happened? Or are you all right? Everything they come at you with is, is wrapped in kindness. But you're humiliated. And it and it buzzed, you just need to sit with it and it's a scab that will heal. And then hopefully, as we've discussed today, you've talked with such love and affection about your experiences as a big brother. And that was very much my experience of working on talent shows with Simon Cowell on Pop Idol and X Factor. It didn't end well, but that doesn't negate all of the good stuff that traveled before it.
0: The issue for me was, is that what you, what the thing is where the rumor starts, and this is when social media in 2013 was a thing. So when I was a housemate on both times, winning, social media wasn't really a thing. Yeah, so, you know, that Twitter can't was, be nice. wasn't really Instagram or stories or any of that. What happened? What did he do wrong? Or was what was the inappropriateness? You know, I'd signed a contract. So in my mind, I was coming back to host two more seasons and then my contract was up at the end of 2013. Thank fuck I signed for three seasons that year. And it was it was a contract. I was delighted. And then we found so out So they had that, to pay you out. Yes, they had to buy me out my contract. So it was fucking amazing. I got paid for <laughs> three seasons. So like thank you. Like I remember we see the, the, the sticky issue was is that you know Emma and I had obviously worked together. We'd worked together. You know, were Emma and I best friends. Well, no, we were colleagues. You know, and that was a really healthy, good relationship. We messaged. We didn't hang out outside the show because we didn't need to. Because, But we were we were colleagues and that worked really well. And you liked each other very we much. We liked each other very much. There was no ill will. To this day, there's never been, you know, ill will about any of that. You know, because I, I couldn't. Because at the end of the day, if someone's given an opportunity like that, of course you're going to take the job and the opportunity. 100%. It was finding out from the newspaper that just I, that's yeah. the humiliation for me. And then I remember, you know, opportunities after that I w- was offered and I just couldn't because I was just still affected. But what I huh. hurt, but look, that was a risk. But did it pay off? Well, yes, because also it's show business. It's what it is. And listen, you've gone through it. I've gone through it. So many people go through this.
2: Yeah. And some, so listen, way more than you think. Oz was just
0: very public. But again it's what you've said it's your recovery from those things that show who is Kay thornton who is brian dowling oh i know who she is i know who he is and it was being able to have those conversations and what well, this happens life goes on once i had that time out and i licked my wounds and i realized how lucky i still am we're back on that horse and we're back working and we're just getting out there
2: you still Worth four million people's votes, Brian Dowling. Twenty one years on, as popular as ever, and there's a reason for that, and that reason is. Oh you're, for you you've gotta make you. me blush case. Don't blush, cry, come on, it's reality TV. <laughs> oh, oh my god, it's too emotional. <laughs> How's your journey? Has it been a roller coaster? Um listen, thank you. Thank you so much. A huge thank you to my guest, Brian Dowling, for joining me on this week's episode. And of course, if you fancy hearing more great chat with other fantastic hosts or reality TV superstars, look no further than our back catalogue where you'll find episodes with the likes of fellow Big Brother winner Kate Lawler, Laura Whitmore, Dr. Alex George, Emma Willis and Giovanna Fletcher, Vicky Patterson, Carol McGiffin, Scarlett Moffat, Michelle Visage, Joe Swash, and Stacey Solomon. I've <sighs> run out of breath. There's so many more. My thanks to you, as always, for your company and to Ben Robbins and the Yahoo Studios team who produced the show with me. Editing is by Andy Anxson, and our music, as always, is courtesy of Andy Bell. I'll be back next Friday with more great guests. Until then, look after yourselves.